All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 28 of the Independent Insult Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbui Bomani. I'm here again, back again with Jordan Eisen, uh, co-founder and owner of FOV Sports. He has an IG content page and his own podcast centered around talking on football, fantasy, and basketball, fantasy sports, baseball season, well, baseball. I'm on my head, football and baseball. Baseball season is still going on. So if you want to get those informations and intels about that nature with him, always listen to his segment but we're here to talk about football fantasy and before we dive right into it just want to hear from you jordan uh week one is biased just want to see uh how your fantasy team is potentially going now that we have accomplished one full season of the nfl year well one full week of the young nfl season yeah so i've got four teams i went three and one um so pretty solid however the post that i like stress over the most the whole season um, on Instagram is my uh, top targets, my must-have fantasy players. Um, and this year, I had Brandon Ayuk as my one, Gus Edwards as my three, Trey Sermon as my four, Michael Pittman as my five, Cortland Sutton as my six, and the rest all look fine. But, oh, my God, that's like five of my top six look terrible right now. So that I kind of hate. Um, but those honestly are probably my worst six calls. And other than that, everything's looking pretty good so far. Um, it just like, it got off to a really rough start for that one post. Um, I do not look very smart there, but other than that, um, it was a fun week one just to watch. Um, and I've also enjoyed fantasy as always. Yeah. Um, all those guys you listen to your top you know, must-haves, um, a variety of them, some of them injuries, others. We know about the San Francisco 49ers and their roster carousel. It seems like no one's safe on that team offensively, um, maybe except the quarterback, and even then we don't know if Jimmy's going to continue to start or not. Um, on my end, when it comes to fantasy, I don't have the arduous task of having four fantasy leagues I'm in, but I have one, and I did a pretty good job one week one. Um, Patrick Mahomes, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett were all standouts on my team. They played very particularly well. And I kind of bit the bullet and took a deep dive when it came to the running back situation and was able to achieve, well, actually draft Chris Carson and Daryl Henderson as my two backs. And they played particularly well early on in the season. So um, it's been going good for me so far. We just can't wait to see how the season kind of manifests over time and see what type of roster shakeups I may have for my fantasy fantasy team yeah but yeah and go, going back to like my targets list like it, it just goes to show like let's remember that it is week one like brandon Ayuk, he might just have been injured week one and now he might come back and be totally fine i still don't feel good about the call but maybe something's going on there uh gus edwards obviously he's out uh trey sermon though like raheem Mostert got injured and is out for the season so Maybe Trey Sermon was injured. Maybe he just, uh, Kyle Shanahan wanted to put him in his place and uh, scratch him for one week. Who knows? Like, it, I'm just saying it's week one and all of the things we think we know right now, we really don't know um, and could very much end up looking completely different even as soon as after this week. For sure. You never really know, especially early in the season like this one, first week and all the expectations you had coming in, 
things can happen, such as injuries, roster shakeups, or as the game goes on, maybe there's a personal change that head coach or coordinators make, feeling that it's going to be for the benefit of the team. So, like you said, Elijah Mitchell got a bulk of the carries in week one when Moster went down. He played particularly well, but that doesn't mean the end of Trey Sermon. He's going to potentially have his chance to shine. And um, you really just hope that you play by ear. It's all laws of probability, um, but you read what you can in terms of intel coming out of the organization, and you go from there when it comes to making your team. Speaking of teams, I'm going to dive into Thursday night football. Um, it's a few days behind us, and we want to talk about the fantasy ramifications within there. I'm going to start in part with the Giants. They're a team that wound up and lost to the Washington football team 30-29. to Seemed like the game was in their grasp. Offside penalty by Dexter Lawrence pretty much changed the trajectory of a potential win for that team, and now they're only two. But on the fantasy side, Daniel Jones, two weeks in a row, he scored 20-plus fantasy points. And on Thursday night, he had a 29.46 fantasy point output as he went 22 or 32 from the field, 248 yards and threw a touchdown. But the thing that shined the brightest in the fantasy realm was his rushing yard ability, 95 yards on the ground and a touchdown versus the Washington football team. And kind of like how I stated a little bit before, two straight games, 20 plus fantasy points. Is it time to start penciling Daniel Jones in as a potential number two quarterback in a standard league setup? And maybe even as he continues to show this consistency in the fantasy realm, maybe even push him up as being a number one option if your starter to be has a bye week. No, is the simple answer. Daniel Jones, he needs to show more than just two games that to make me believe that he's a capable quarterback. Uh, against Washington, that was one of his best games like ever probably. And it still was like, not good he got sacked four times and like all of them were his fault like there was pressure but like a good quarterback would have not gotten sacked four times or not as ugly like he's just not a good player and you can't rely on 10 yards per carry from Daniel Jones like that that's just not the right process um it was a good game maybe he just breaks out after this and I look stupid but I would not bet on that at all because I mean he had some nice throws for sure um he looked capable like he could be a starter in his future just like a bad starter but a starter I guess um but that's not a starter on your fantasy team that's just a starter on like a one-year filler on some team that is rebuilding but not quite but doesn't quite have their quarterback like he's not someone that needs to be rostered in fantasy the rushing definitely does help but he's just so bad everywhere else that like I would not be comfortable with Daniel Jones starting in my he's starting on my fantasy team that's not something I want to put my mind through at all yeah I tend to agree um you know it's progress to say the least for Jones um it's something that if you're not thinking about it, when you look at the stats and realize, oh, two 20-plus point fantasy games, you're thinking, okay, progress. Didn't really expect that from that guy. But the thing that shone the brightest on Thursday night football was how hard it was offensively for them to move the football because their offensive line is so bad. And it's a good thing that they finally utilized Jones's athleticism, I think, to kind of offset the incapabilities their own line has in pass blocking. But well, there's going to be – Let me just say – 
they always run read options just usually it doesn't work like daniel jones is a decent runner but he's not like transcendent like kyler like lamar jackson he like can run the ball but it's just not he's not good at it and if like montez sweat was better at reading the read option or playing it and just like committed to uh defending the run or defending daniel jones like daniel jones could very well have had like nine rush attempts for like 20 yards if washington played it better and like i don't know why they didn't maybe daniel jones is just deceivingly athletic when you're on the field and maybe this something we'll see from now on but i don't know it just seemed like bad defense um and that's not something i want to count on week in and week out yeah valid point indeed um Basically, in large part, they ran the read option concept multiple times, and it seemed like every time Washington was on their heels and out of position when it came to contain. Uh, you, not that it's on film, I'm pretty sure if Jason Garrett wants to pull that out on the regularity, the opposition in the future will know how to stop that and know what keys to kind of zero in on. And those yardage attempts that he had on the ground aren't going to be, you know, in a heavy amount. But with Jones going back to him, just the report. He only seem, it only seems like he has rapport with Sterling Shepard so far this season. Two games, they've been phenomenal. Kelly, Kenny Galladay has been a work in progress in terms of his inability to separate and make the contested catches consistently. Evan Ingram has been in and out of lineup, so we don't know their rapport. Has it been maintained throughout the past couple of years? Um, and the biggest one that I want to kind of delve into has to be the Saquon Barkley situation. Um, he's his second game coming off of ACL surgery. He had 57 yards rushing and 12 receiving, but only had eight points. Now, the narrative in fantasy is it's coming eventually throughout the season. Barkley will get his wits about him. He'll become more of a focal point in the rushing attack for the Giants. And eventually he'll have a breakthrough that kind of aligns with the first and second round fantasy grades he got heading into the season. But aren't you kind of worried that the undeniable fact is the Giants offensive line is still going to be struggling, not just to pass protect, but to help open holes for Barkley. And Barkley's run style is really predicated on jump stop ability, start cuts, and that's going to put a lot of um, requirement on his knees that he hasn't really trust yet to come through for him. Those two issues, how do you feel like that can kind of coincide into Barkley living up to the hype that he was given in fantasy? Yeah, so coming out of 2020, uh, like in February 2020, when the Super Bowl just finished, like I thought Barkley was going to be like my RB3. And I mean, he ended up being like my RB8, which even still was too high. Um, you can't feel good about Saquon right now. I do think that he will um, definitely... Like, come the end of the season, maybe he he will rank at about RB8 like I have him ranked. But, like, it's not going to be a nice process, and you're not going to like having him having drafted him in the first round unless this changes quickly. And, I mean, Devontae Booker only got, like, 10 snaps this past week. So, like, that's a good sign that, like, Saquon is on the field and the Giants aren't, like, concerned about, like, re-aggravation or – whatever could happen i'm not a doctor but um like you're not gonna put your superstar running back that like used to be one of the best athletes in the league on the field for like 50 snaps if you think he's gonna get injured and tear his acl 
Um, like you're just not going to do that. So clearly he's healthy enough to like play it's whether or not he's healthy enough to perform. I think he'll eventually get there. Um, for now, if you have alternative options on your fantasy team, uh, it's definitely viable to just bench him as long as you can. Um, but if you don't, I, I have a team where I've got like him, Joe Mixon, and then like Latavius Murray and Ronald Jones. I'm playing Saquon Barkley and it hurts, but he could have easily scored a touchdown at some point on Thursday. He, he didn't have that much volume, but that might've been more of a game script thing. I am concerned about the offensive line. I am concerned that he's not being used in the screen game and like just being tossed to in the flat, like Sterling Shepard's getting so many short routes and like he's doing fine with them. He's had two really nice weeks, but imagine if Saquon was getting those flats, he would just be able to get so much more yak than Sterling Shepard. So there are definitely some concerning things um, that, and uh, to top it off as well, like he just doesn't look as good as he did in his rookie season. Like he looked like the absolute best back in the league in his rookie season. Um, And now he just, doesn't like he worked he looked worse than cmc dalvin cook alvin Kamara, nick chubb for sure um probably jonathan taylor and i think antonio gibson looked better joe mixon there are quite a few names um he's definitely not looking too good right now but you just have to hold on to him and just wait like coming into the season hopefully you planned better than i did and you figured out a backup plan in case saquon wasn't healthy because i mean we kind of saw this coming but yeah it's it's not looking too good for him but there's not much you can do either yeah i think like you said the only underlying positive is they continuously utilize him as if they feel his health is not an issue so because of volume over time, he's going to have a breakout game or two throughout the season. But if you're looking for that consistency that everyone expects to Christian McCaffrey to provide, which he showed in week one or Alvin Kamara to provide, or even Dalvin cook with the Vikings, it's just not going to happen mainly because like you said, I do feel from a talent perspective, I think his best days are behind him. I think we saw peak Saquon his rookie season and the O-line hasn't got any better since he's came from Penn state. His, level of play has kind of diminished a little bit and it seems as if the Giants somewhat noticed this so they're not making him such a main priority in the passing game and they're implementing Daniel Jones as a rushing option too so I I didn't expect it to go like this for the Giants but I I did feel with Saquon the injury and the O-line issues I just couldn't trust him as a guy taking the first round expect for him to produce I feel like I can get much more bank for my book value-wise with guys that probably aren't the name that Saquon is, but are much healthier on teams that will give them just as much of a shot to run the football very well. And I guess that's where, you know, a lot of guys are sadly facing that reality now with the Giants and Saquon, too. You did bring up Sterling Shepard. Um, he's a guy, nine catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He had 17.50 fantasy points. It's two games in a row where Shepard has been a mainstay in the passing game as a receiver for the Giants. Do you expect his level of play to continue to where maybe he becomes a consistent guy to rely on as a potential flex option or maybe a wide receiver too? Um, yeah, I say potential flex. Think of him like Jarvis Landry. 
but instead of being on a good offense, being on like one of the worst offenses um, and also a worse version of Jarvis Landry probably with Kenny Galladay and Darius Slayton and Saquon Barkley all on the same team. So Jarvis Landry light, like that's the type of player he is. Uh, He'll get you lots of catches in a few weeks. He'll um, definitely help you out at times, but he can be reliable if Daniel Jones is at all decent, um, which I can't really rely on. So I guess he's unreliable. Um, But like, yeah, Sterling Shepard was one of my favorite sleepers heading into the season because he, he's a good player. He's like Jarvis Landry. If you put, if you put, uh, Sterling Shepard on the Browns and took Jarvis Landry away, they would put up very comparable numbers, I think. Um, but the situation is just so much worse. I mean, you definitely can flex him right now because Daniel Jones does not look to be comfortable with Kenny Galladay. As we said, um, Saquon seems injured or at least something's going on. So in these first couple of weeks, sure, Sterling Shepard can be a decent option, but uh, I, it's not a long-term solution and I don't see this as like a breakout season. It's more so just like he might capitalize on his situation, which is kind of ironic considering his situation sucks, but you know. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment as well. Um, I do feel like Shepard, he has going for him is Daniel Jones at this point of his career is a quarterback that's very productive in the intermediate point of the field. And he has a nice deep ball, but he only utilizes it when he realizes his receiver down the field has separation, I guess, a defensive back. So that means I like such as Kenny Galladay is on the outside looking in due to that passing trajectory, but Sterling Shepard is a guy that he's going to continuously grow with throughout the season and he'll have some solid games. I know they play the Falcons next week and their secondary in Atlanta is horrible. So that could be another big game where Shepard plays well. But you do, like you said, want to be leery of Shepard rolling off these huge games early in the year and you're desperate for a flex type option. You locking in on them because it's all aligns with the, pro- the, the productivity of Daniel Jones. If he's productive passing, Shepard's going to be a factor. If he's not productive passing, Shepard won't be. And I've had Shepard before a couple of fantasy seasons ago. And Jones is Jekyll and Hyde level of play prohibited the consistency on Shepard's in fantasy, which is why most times he was on the bench for me. Yep, I agree. Like, you can start him next week. An interesting question that I hate is interesting, but would you rather start Saquon Barkley or Sterling Shepard versus the Falcons? I I guess it really depends on how much upside you feel like you need uh, Saquon's upside play. But I don't know. If you think you're going to crush your fantasy opponent and – you're just deciding between the two and you just need 10 points. I could see starting Sterling Shepard. I don't think I would in most leagues, but the fact that I'm talking about this conversation right now kind of says a lot on its own. So it's a little, it's really interesting. And I don't think it's even going to be close to this come the end of the season. Like this conversation will sound absolutely stupid, but for now, it's an it's something that has to be mentioned um but we'll just have to wait and see i guess yeah a good question to bring up i mean shepherd and barkley all the part of that giants offense that has shown flashes have a pretty good matchup in atlanta next week but it all really depends on how atlanta's defense plays 
tomorrow for people to probably feel like, okay, this is for sure a lock, but just going off of how they played against yeah, Philadelphia. I don't think it's going to be good tomorrow, though. So. Yeah, it's not. So because you're going to have bad tape of Atlanta playing horrible against Philly and Tampa, it'll make Barkley and Shepard's stock go super high, and they'll be a part of those um, must-start or must-start conversations that everybody has every week in fantasy. For the Washington football team, they had a variety of players play particularly well for them. But I want to touch base on the running back situation for the football team that came to a head on Thursday night. So Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick, these guys have been fighting for touches and carries and individuals in fantasy have been really the guys that have been affected by it the most when it comes to Washington decided who they want to ride with in their backfield alongside their quarterback. For Gibson, he had 13 carries, 69 yards, but he only had two catches for four yards. And because of that, he only had a 9.3 point output in fantasy. While J.D. McKissick had 20 points, mainly because he was productive in the passing game, five catches for 83 yards, four carries for 10 yards. How do you figure this backfield situation out if you have a McKissick or a Gibson on your team, knowing that Washington has shown in two weeks that one week Gibson may be the pass catcher out of the backfield and the rusher, but there could be another week where he's just the in-between runner while they utilize McKissick more in their passing game. Yeah, the thing is last week, like week one against the Chargers, I mean, J.D. McKissick just wasn't on the field so much because, like, it was a close game. Washington was up for a period, I think, but even if they weren't, it was still pretty close. Like, in the game script indicated that they should run it. So Antonio Gibson was on the field, and sometimes even when you, quote, should run it, like, you sometimes pass it. So that means sometimes passing to your, like, primary running back. Uh, Week two, though, against the Giants, the game was fast paced. Washington was pretty close for most of the game, but it was fast paced and it just called for more passing. Um, and that's where they were more protective against uh, the Giants. So McKissick was on the field more often. Um, and same thing applies vice versa. Like just because your passing back is, is on the field doesn't mean he can't run it. So McKissick got some rushing plays. Um, I view this situation I like McKissick. I think he's a good player. Antonio Gibson's really good, though. Um, and when I, I had him ranked as a first-rounder coming into the season, and that was like, okay, we saw what he is last year. He's a really good running back. And there's a chance he played wide receiver in college that he also takes over the passing game. It doesn't look like he's going to take over the passing game. He's probably closer to a second-round value now, but he's still a really good running back. And almost every running back, uh, almost every team is a running back committee right now. So, like, having JD McKissick there is not that threatening. It's pretty normal. Like, he, I mean, compare Jonathan Taylor and Antonio Gibson. Naeem Hines is still there for Jonathan Taylor. So, like, it, Gibson's a really good back. He's going to do good work when he gets the ball, when he's on the field, but that might not be all the time. Um, but I just, I, I like Gibson a lot, and also if McKissick does get injured, obviously Antonio Gibson has at least decent hands if he played wide receiver at Memphis, so like that's pretty good. That's a little bit of upside if you're like thinking about a tiebreaker. Um, 
I, I like Gibson, but McKissick's not going away. McKissick's good. He shouldn't go away. Usually, sometimes I'm like, all right, guys, I understand you like this player, but he should not be playing right now. I think McKissick is a good compliment to Gibson, and like, it's not a bad call to give him work, but um, he definitely like Gibson's just better, um, but he's just not going to get the passing work, which is fine, but you just need to know that. Um, I would buy Gibson, though, because I feel like people might be panicking because McKissick just played so much this past week. I think Gibson's just definitely still the primary back, and this past week was not a good indication of um, who's going to get how much work. It's not. Um, but I do feel like coming into the year, the content I was reading, a lot of guys were kind of sold on Gibson's receiving background, the productivity he had to end the year. And I think a lot of individuals were like, well, maybe because of that, McKissick will get slowly but surely factored out of the game plan. And Gibson will become the predominantly running back, not just in a running game, but also out of the backfield as a receiver, which helped rationalize taking a running back like Gibson in the first round of your fantasy draft. Because... A lot of these guys are going to first round in fantasy that are running backs, with the exception of Nick Chubb. There are individuals that are factors in their passing games as catchers. And so that was probably the feeling with Gibson. It really hasn't happened kind of like that consistently through two games. But the reality of it is McKissick, I thought, looked a lot, a little bit more effective as a back, mainly because of what he was able to provide as a pass catcher. And then because of that, and Washington was in such an offensive rhythm, they go, hurry up, McKissick stays, and he gets the opportunity to score that goal line rushing score to the chagrin of probably a ton of Antonio Gibson fantasy owners. But I think they're both solid backs. They have favorable matchups moving forward, and I think uh, best-case scenario, Gibson is going to be a quality investment for individuals throughout the year, but I don't think he's going to have this um, Christian McCaffrey-type impact, which I don't think anybody expected, but he's not going to be the surefire RB1 on his team that's going to be always on the field on passing downs. I agree. Yeah. I was, I mean, Christian McCaffrey's his whole own thing, but I like my rank of having Antonio Gibson in the late first round, like that was in hopes of maybe he's Christian McCaffrey light. Like that's a possibility still. Um, maybe McKissick gets injured. I don't know, but um it doesn't appear like Washington's going to force that into reality. Exactly. And, you know, that's what happens when you're a team like Washington. You build your personnel. You feel like McKissick gives you a more quality uh, chance of being a productive receiver out of the backfield than Gibson, which is why he's on the roster. And, you know, things fall with their man. Speaking of receivers, Terry McLaurin had a huge game, um, kind of bouncing back from that slow start he had on week one, mainly because of the quarterback carousel when Fitzpatrick went down and Heineke came in. But Thursday night, McLaurin, 11 catches, 107 yards, and a score. He had 27 points in fantasy this Thursday. We all know about McLaurin and his talent. We all know about the carousel quarterbacks he's been through throughout his young career. But in fantasy terms, you just want to see this guy continue to be a 15 to 20 point score in fantasy on a consistent basis and even with uh the cycle of quarterbacks that he's having to play with in Washington he can achieve that with just sure targets and he got tons of them against a Giants team where historically 
James Bradbury has given him problems, and he was a problem for Bradbury. So if you're a McLaurin owner, is this point output that he put up Thursday signs of things to come? or And because of that, always start him no matter what. Or do you have to be leery about him maybe having a slippage because Heineke is his quarterback? Yeah, I see this as a buy, uh, as a sell high. I love McLaurin. I think he was my wide receiver 10 coming into the season. Like, he's a really, really good wide receiver. Yeah, wide receiver 10. And that was with Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterback. So, like, if we put, let's just say, if we put Terry McLaurin on, let's just say the Vikings and Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen aren't there. And it's just like Terry McLaurin on the Vikings. He would be like in contention for like a top five wide receiver spot. Like, I think he's really, really good. But Taylor Heineke, he put up stats, but I don't trust it that much. I I don't know. I think that this could be, and and when I say sell high, I mean like get a second or third round value from him because I think people are thinking of Terry McLaurin like a superstar. Like, he is a superstar. But in this situation right now, I don't know if he's a fantasy superstar. So, like, an interesting question is similar to the Saquon versus Sterling Shepard. Would you do Antonio Gibson for Terry McLaurin? I'd much rather have Antonio Gibson. I agree. You summed it up perfectly. Uh, Gibson is a much safer bet than McLaurin because as a runner, um, the quarterback's handing you the ball off. So basically your productivity is dictated on the offensive line and the run defense and your own ability to make guys miss. As a receiver, you can be as open all you want. You can run the best routes known to mankind. But if your quarterback just can't get you the football, then your level of productivity just isn't there. He played fabulous against the Giants, but a lot of those situations that he was able to accumulate were a lot of lollipop throws by Heineke. And honestly, it was just him using his sheer will and talent to just attack the football. But as the season goes on, I don't know if that's a level of productivity that can be maintained, but maybe Ron Rivera in Washington realizes a way we could factor McLaurin in the offenses, run more bubble screens, run more in-breaking routes that are short, not just past 10 yards, but five yards to kind of get Heineke in a rhythm and in a flow. Um, I will say this, though, it does look like if Heineke, and we kind of both agree on this, Heineke's stat line looks cool, but if you watch the game, there are a plethora of throws he had that he was very fortunate his receivers made plays on. So, But if Heineke continues to play like this and they win, he may be the starter for Washington to finish the season. And now you just have to go off of what you see from Heineke moving forward. And he's a guy I want to talk about in fantasy. Uh, He played well statistically 34 46 338 two tubs and an interception he had 20 points for he had 20 points in fantasy Heineke um obviously we can agree he's not a QB1 he's probably not a QB2 but is he at least somebody to put your eye on potentially as an asset in the waiver wire if you have a starting quarterback that God forbid goes out with a season in an injury or just misses time or just somebody you can lean on during a bye week yeah I think of uh Heineke very similarly to how I think of Daniel Jones like they can be a backup quarter like in their future like three years from now Heineke's actually kind of sneaky old so maybe not three years but like they're both like backup quarterbacks that can take over for five games and win two or three um 
and that's what they both are. So like in standard leagues, you're not going to be starting either at any point unless Daniel Jones makes a breakout, unless Daniel Jones, unless Tyler Heineke is just like better than I think, which could happen, but I wouldn't bet on it. But in Superflex, I think both are worth a look. Like they're both starting quarterbacks in their current situations. Um, they both have pretty solid weapons. And they both just had good. That might lead to something. I don't really think they will, but maybe maybe something's going on. Um, so they're definitely both worth worth pickups in Superflex, but in standard leagues, one quarterback. Don't worry about either. Yeah, I agree. I'm in a standard league, so I don't really have a Heineke uh, problem in terms of me looking for Heineke to save my team right now. But I do feel like as the season goes on, he is a guy that you can have assets on a daily fantasy type platform, and maybe he can give you something. But um, that's just where the situation Washington's in right now. It's a far cry from what everybody expected early on in the season, where Fitzpatrick was there, and we knew Fitzpatrick, he's helter-skelter as well, but he's a gunslinger. So everyone felt confident that McLaurin, Diami Brown, Logan Thomas, they'd all be productive factors in that type of offense. He's not there anymore, so you're really going off a Heineke and his passing ability, and you just don't know. It looks like so far the Giants aren't a good defensive team, so maybe Heineke's just productive within the division, and that's it. Uh, to finish out, the podcast segment it's a short segment on my head just speaking on fantasy uh bounce back week two fantasy candidates you listed a couple guys early on in the segment iuke um trey sermon guys that disappointed either they didn't play or they played and weren't really productive but the good thing about the nfl is um every week you can rewrite your story so week two who do you have top three or four fantasy uh bounce back candidates that you feel like are going to have big numbers that they didn't have on. Yeah. So I think this comes down to a couple things. First of all, the Packers, the Falcons and the 49ers, those and the Titans too. All four of those teams, really, really bad offensive outputs, except for the 49ers, just the 49ers came from unordinary sources. So uh, as for the Packers, I think Aaron Rodgers is still good. He didn't look good in week one, but that seems like a fluke to me. I, I would bet on him being fine. And if Aaron Rodgers is fine, I would bet on Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams both being fine as well. Like they're playing the Lions. Honestly, if they're the same as they were in week one, like the same skill sets, which I don't even think they will be, those guys, like the same exact Aaron Rodgers we saw in week one playing the Lions in week two, I think would still put up some good fantasy points. Um, but on top of that, I think week one was just a weird week for the Packers. So I have no hesitation starting them. Um, I mean, I guess some hesitation, but I would feel pretty confident starting any of the Packers. Um, Falcons are definitely a lot more concerning Matt Ryan looked terrible, and he also looked kind of bad, like sneakily bad last year. Um, and now there's no Julio. Julio wasn't there for a lot of last year, but, I mean, now he's definitely gone. Um, now he's left with Calvin Ridley, 
in Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts is a rookie tight end still. So that I'm a little concerned about. Don't start Matt Ryan. Start Kyle Pitts still. You still Kyle Pitts looked good week one. Um, he's gonna be worth a really high pick next year. But he was lining up all over the field. Uh, looked really athletic. Had some really nice catches. Had some really nice targets too. Um, so definitely still start Pitts. Um, Calvin Ridley, of course, you're starting him. Albeit I was low coming low on him coming into the season. I think I'm probably even lower now. I just don't think he's a superstar. He's a good wide receiver, really, really good, but not a superstar. But you've got to start him. Like he's still a wide receiver one. Um and yeah. Uh as for running backs, try really hard to not start Mike Davis. I did not like Mike Davis. If you were relying on him being in, being your running back uh, coming into the season, that's somewhat valid because, like, he, he had the starting role and sometimes you rack up some tight end uh, and a lot of wide receivers early in drafts and you need to rely on some sort of Mike Davis, Chase Edmonds, Tyson Williams guy to be a starter on your team. But if that is you, play the waivers – uh, and try to find someone else because Mike Mike Davis can be a placeholder, but not much else. Um, the Titans, though, I don't know. Um, who are they playing again? It's the they're playing Seattle. No, they're playing Seattle. Oh, I don't know if that's okay, yeah, a blessing or a curse. So, yeah. Yeah, Seattle's defense looked good towards the end of last season and in week one. So, I don't think that's going to be completely telling, but if we see Carlos Dunlap destroy the Titans offensive line and get like upwards of two sacks, that's really concerning. Like you might have to consider start benching all Titans if like the offensive line falls apart again, Um, which I don't think it will. I I think AJ Brown's a major bounce back candidate. Same with Derrick Henry, Uh, Julio and Ryan Tannehill. I would try to not start if you can. If you have to start Julio, that's understandable. Um, but Ryan Tannehill, you can find another quarterback on waivers. Baker Mayfield's in a lot of leagues. Jameis Winston's still available. Um, Joe Burrow might be out there. There are a lot of good quarterbacks that I would much rather have over Ryan Tannehill. So try not to start him. But I think the stars. Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown are both really good um, bounce-back candidates. But for the um, for the Packers and Falcons, I won't be too concerned if they bust again this week. For the Titans, if their offensive line looks bad, I think we could be in some real big trouble. Um, and then also I just want to point out, I think the biggest bounce-back candidate of all and it's not someone that is on any of those teams, but Najee Harris and Mike Evans, I just think they're going to bounce back. They showed nothing concerning. Mike Evans does this sometimes. Najee Harris was literally out there 100% of snaps. Just the game versus the Bills was slow. Nothing concerning for either of those guys. For everyone else I've mentioned, there was at least a little bit of concern. Um, I just am more hopeful than concerned about them but for Najee Harris and Mike Evans I don't know sometimes 
what they did in week one just happens and uh, we have to bet on that not repeating itself. Yeah, all fair enough assessments. Want to touch based on yours, right quick, before I go into mine. Um, I think Atlanta's situation, when the season's over and people look back at that Atlanta offense in particular, I think a lot of fantasy owners are going to be giving some dirty side eyes to their old line and Matt Ryan. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I feel like Matt Ryan has been declining for a while now. I think statistically, his numbers make it seem like he's still on that not on that MVP trajectory, but at least in that stratosphere, but he's really not. So it severely compromises Calvin Ridley because I feel like his game's at his best when he's attacking the boundaries down the field and on deep intermediate routes. I don't think Kyle Pitts will suffer immensely. I think he'll be much more of a factor in the red zone. I was really appalled when he had red zone opportunities in week one against Philly. They didn't at least try to isolate Pitts one-on-one with a DB that he's obviously bigger than and throw some jump ball opportunities to him. I think that will happen a little bit more throughout the season. Mike Davis is a tough runner, a physical runner. Uh, you just wonder that, yeah, he's the only back on their team, but we saw in week one, they don't mind running Cordell Patterson between the tackles either. So they're not a bad rushing football team offensively. I think the issue with Atlanta is their defense is horrendous, meaning they'll be down early and they're going to probably have to abandon their run game. So that's just a situation there for them. My fantasy breakout, guys, for bounce backs. Um, I think the two easy ones are Devontae Adams, like you stated, and Mark Andrews for Baltimore. Um, I'm going to say Mark Andrews for the Ravens because I thought he wasn't as productive, mainly since Lamar was running for his life against the Vegas Raiders. That could happen technically against the Chiefs because the Chiefs do have Chris Jones. But Kansas City struggled in coverage against tight ends week one against Cleveland. I think Andrews is going to have way more target opportunities because I think he was only targeted five times. Um, last Monday night. So I expect eight to nine. He's going to probably catch some. And if he catches a touchdown, that's an advancement. And with Devontae Adams, he's going to get to line secondary that will be out without Jeff Okuda. He tore his Achilles. So he's going to probably join Aruma Warrior, who is their cornerback too. He'll not be their CB1. I expect Adams to be productive. He did have 10 points last week, but it wasn't a 15 to 20 point output everybody was expecting him to have against the Saints. But the big one has to be Julio Jones, like you stated as well, for the Titans. Julio looked a little bit washed week one. It's early, but it just felt like those contested catches we normally used to used of him making, he was getting broken up by oppositional DBs. He wasn't getting that separation off the line like he usually does in routes. And obviously him and AJ's productivity as pass catchers, depending on the rushing ability of of Derrick Henry and their offensive line protecting Ryan Tannehill. But like you said, if Dunlap and that Seahawks O-line, who just last week dominated a pretty talented Indianapolis O-line, if they wreck havoc too, I think all fantasy owners have to look at Tannehill, Henry, Brown, and Jones at a little bit more skepticism before ever locking them in as starters moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you brought up Julio Jones. I am a little concerned because, like, I mean, the whole Titans offense was broken, but Julio, like, usually in past years, if an offense looks broken for a game, he still has some plays that are like, wow, did he really just do that? And he didn't have any of those plays. And, I mean, it's one week. Maybe it's just a fluke. But uh, he's not the guy that he used to be at all. Exactly. And that's why I was really wary of Julio coming into the season. Not just fantasy, but – 
just regular talk worldwide when everybody was like, wow, the Titans are getting Julio. And I'm like, Julio's best years are behind him. And his last few years in Atlanta, um, he was either in the lineup and not getting targeted at. He was basically utilized as a glorified decoy or he was out of the lineup because he was injured. And now I'm kind of starting to see why maybe he was utilized as a decoy and not as that go-to guy because he just doesn't have that separation off of routes and his hands, which were never really as sure as people like to admit, he did have case of the drops. He's not as any sure anymore. And so he's basically a wide receiver too. And you just hope in fantasy, he doesn't have the productivity that AJ Green had his last year in Cincinnati, where everybody looked at AJ Green as AJ Green. And then we slowly found out throughout the season, he wasn't that guy anymore. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head for sure. And with that, guys, that is the end of episode 28 of Independent Intel. Great to be with my guest from FOV Sports, Jordan Eisen. It was great to talk fantasy with them. Before you go, I'd like to, you know, let Jordan talk about his content and maybe even, you know, say a couple of other lookouts we weren't able to address on this pod of guys to look out for in fantasy that could really cash in and give you a big performance. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would still, as for some last-minute tips, um, I really like DeAndre Swift. Um, I think he's just going to be really good. Um, uh, let me just scroll through my rankings, see if there's anyone that stands out. Oh, Keenan Allen, if you're playing DFS, I think he's worth paying up for. Uh, he costs a lot this week, but he's playing Dallas, and he's just – He's really good. Justin Herbert's even better, I think. Um, and if you're not able to get Keenan Allen, look out for Mike Williams this week too. Um, I think AB's not back. Like he's not the number one wide receiver, but he's really good. He has Tom Brady as his quarterback now. Um, I'd start Debo this week. I think Ayuk should be back at some point because like he was good last year. But um, for this week, Debo's a good start. I'm excited about the rookies, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle. Uh, lesser so Jalen Waddle, but I'm excited to see what those guys all have to do. Um, and let's see, any tight ends? Noah Fant against the Jags. Um, I think also in DFS, he seems like a good play. Teddy Bridgewater played so much better than Drew Locke ever has. Um, so I'm pretty excited for the Broncos, but... Uh, against Jacksonville, I think that's a really nice play. Um, so that wraps it up. If you have any questions for me, uh, I think that last second thing covered quite a few guys. Um, but if you have any questions for me, definitely look me at, up at FOV underscore sports on Instagram or Twitter. Um, on either of those, I have a link tree. You can look at my rankings. You could look at my podcast really everything you need is in that link tree um and yeah you can follow me on instagram i post twice a week that's where i've met um uh intel and that's where we've talked a lot um i, I love this podcast you definitely have something good going but anyways yeah instagram look me up uh i post twice a week um and i think they're usually pretty neat posts and my following tends to agree, I think. Um, so yeah, definitely look me up there. 
I spent a lot of time on that Instagram. So yeah, I would appreciate that. The podcast as well, uh, like uh, they do on Intel. I've got um, a fantasy analyst ho- uh, guest coming on every single week. This week is Jen Piacenti. Um, she's a big deal in the fantasy football industry. I'm really excited to get to talk with her. Last week, I had Derek Carty of ESPN on. Um, so every week, I just will review what happened and how that projects to go forward. So I think I produce pretty good content. I hope you agree, um, and I hope you check it out. Yeah, you heard the man. Check out his content. Great content that he produces. With that, I'll be back with you guys next week for another episode of the Independent Intel Podcast. All you listeners and viewers, have a great day. I'll see you again soon.